Good evening, everyone. It's Thursday. When you hear this, it's Thursday. And it's time for another action-packed episode of Necromaniacs. How's it going, Mike? I am well. Uh, Yes, as Mr. Hill said, Necromaniacs podcast coming at you once again, week after week after week. It is uh, mid-July, Mike. Summertime. Summertime. You enjoying your summertime? You know something? I had low expectations for summer going into it, but I have to admit I'm having a good time this summer. Me too. Uh, I am definitely having a, a better summer than I anticipated. How about that? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, having some work issues, you know, at the real job, as they say. But despite all that, I'm still having fun when I am not at work. And that is what matters most, you know? Yeah, a lot of cool stuff has happened. Like, I, I got to see you play. I got to see you in human play uh, last weekend. And um, yeah, dude, uh, yeah, my one of my one of my bands in human, we played our first gig in four years, listeners. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. We played at Bowery Electric with uh, friends of ours, Sworn Enemy. Uh, really cool free show. I'm glad you had a good time, Mike. Yeah, totally. I was planning on going anyway, but I had uh, added motivation because uh, our drummer Justin filled in with sworn enemy so i I, I wrote in i wrote in with him so uh it was cool (laughs) yeah the drummer of tomb see that's that's the cool thing you know the new york city new jersey band circuit sometimes things like that happen yeah he's going to be filling in on a few shows i think with them oh that's great yeah Yeah, he did a great job man They, they kicked a lot of ass and yeah in human we had a lot of fun we're gonna you know we're gonna play again uh, down the line so that'll be fun too and uh this this past weekend um my other project the last stand uh just two nights ago we played a fun show out in coney island at the coney island brewery they have these like free monthly metal punk night shows they're called uh, that our friend jerry farley uh puts together and yeah we had a blast man uh playing like outdoors and you know it was funny they they have friday night fireworks in coney and I kid you not, Mike, the second our set finished, the fireworks began. Like, I heard them the moment we happened to end our set. So that was a lot of fun. That's <laughs> awesome, man. That That's that's pretty funny, man. Because it reminds me of uh, when we played Roskilde Festival a number of years ago. Paul McCartney was the, was the big Oh, head. boy. So mm. we're, I'm sitting in catering and the fucking guy is playing for hours, bro. Like, he was like two hours in. And mm. this guy's up there. You know, I got myself set on you. I'm doing all whatever his his like hits are. The minute he finishes, there's a big firework display right at the end of his set. So that's kind of like the uh, the the last dance set was like that, I guess. I got uh, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's the same thing really. I mean, you know, Paul McCartney, legendary Beatle, the last stand, New York hardcore band, duh, same thing. <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, I'm gonna take some hits for this. I, I have no interest in paul mccartney's solo work none uh but you know i you know he's a legend i like some beatles stuff but going to see him live i just i don't know that doesn't float float my boat at all i don't know you know there's somebody cursing me out right now but um, you know i'll have to deal with it i guess you know some people uh say tomato some say tomato some people like paul mccartney some people don't no i like him as the human being and the man and philanthropist and you know yeah and he literally seemed like all accounts the coolest nicest beetle you know 
but uh, I don't know. It's like his solo stuff. It's like, okay, eh, it's okay. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, on the music front, it's been, I took a, I've been taking a slight break from the shows, uh, Stella and I, but we did do something really cool. We actually DJed together yesterday at this cool spot in Brooklyn called uh, Dramedary Bar in Bushwick. Um, Mike uh, can recall that I DJed quite a bit at a bar called Lucky 13 around the time we met and, you know, many years also into that. But um, my my professional gig, excuse me, um, I, I kind of just DJed less and less because, you know, I had less time. But yeah, it, it felt really great to DJ again. And this time using vinyl records only, Mike. How about that? Well, how how was that, man? That seems like a real skill that you have to, you know, master to do that. Well, okay. I don't know if it's look, is it more it's obviously more of a pain in the balls than say just the digital DJing. And I would say it's slightly more of a pain in the balls than CD DJing. I was of course originally a CD DJ for a long time. Um, which by the way, kids that ruins your CDs. Um, oh, really? I learned that the hard way, unfortunately. It kills your CDs. Um, so if you want to be a CD DJ, I know it's 2022, but you might want to consider burned CDs, not, not the actual good ones that you enjoy. Uh, or, of course, digital. But vinyl only, yeah, it does take a little finesse. It takes a little, you know, pre-planning, um, you know, you, you got to be a bit more, I guess, in the in the zone, I think, for sure. vinyl DJ, 100%. Yeah, you know? But it was a lot of fun, man. I got to play some great stuff. I played some loads of the new church, some Joy Division, some uh, Bauhaus, uh, Sisters of Mercy. Uh, yeah, you know, like goth rock kind of stuff. Um, uh, the Cult. So, yeah, I played, played a lot of hits that I think, uh, you know, people I think that enjoy this show would have probably enjoyed. That sounds like a lot of fun, man. I'll be doing it again. So, yeah, keep you all posted. Yeah, yeah, definitely let me know. I'll come in for that hangout. Indeed. And uh, let's see, on, on the reading front, because, you know, I'm, I'm commuting to work again a few days a week. Um, I am reading, um, back in 1991, they, uh, Marvel did these four prestige issues of Tomb of Dracula. Do you remember those? I have very very yeah. very specific those are great actually mm -hmm. yeah go ahead um so years ago i had the actual issues i cannot find them i guess i don't have them anymore so i i, I looked up on amazon and sure enough they were created uh, collected in trade only just a few years ago uh from marvel so i'm reading the collected trade of that it's called tomb of dracula day of blood night of redemption and it's you know it's the original team of Marv Wolfman, Gene Colan, and Al Williamson. And then I got this beauty in the mail of uh, basically the first 11 issues of the original Tomb of Dracula, Marvel Masterworks Tomb of Dracula Volume 1. It's like one of those fancy schmancy hardcovers, Mike. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah, those are great. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, love, once I love that. Uh, that's the, it used to be the uh, black and white uh, Dracula. Mm -hmm. And that's um, yeah, yeah. They at one point were issuing the tomb of Dracula's in the essential black and whites. They were called Marvel Essentials, right? 
But since the original comic was in color, yes, now you can get them in color. So this right. this hardcover is in color, which is great. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like like say like the Savage Sword of Conan's, those were always in black and white. Yes. So getting those trades in black and white is fine, but I kind of. I'm a little weird about getting what was originally in color, black and white. You know, yeah, because I, I had some of the original ones from when I was a kid, the color ones, and, and mm-hmm. I picked up the black and white collections, and I was like, I kind of dig this in black and white. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there's something about Gene Colan's artwork that looks great as black and white, I think. But, yeah, but, I, you know. I would agree. He, he translates well for that, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And, and then I've been on this odd tear of like, buying random tomb of dracula's and and 70s marvel horror issues on ebay <laughs> oh yeah yeah those werewolf just, by night is another yes, great yeah, one yeah, yes yeah. yes because i'm just in love with these covers like i just like i just want to hold them in my hands and look at them like a lunatic so um and i may like frame some of them like i don't know, i just i'm just a sucker for that whole era and that whole aesthetic you know um and then somebody told me over the weekend something that I, I was unaware of, and I really hope it's true, that this fall around Halloween time, Disney Plus is doing a Werewolf by Night cartoon. Oh, really? Uh, an adult animated cartoon. Dude, yes. I hope that's true. That's like, yeah. That that's a that's like a dream come true, man. I, I mm. love Werewolf by Night. I just hope it's. Um, I hope it looks. I hope it has a certain look. That's all I care about. Like you know what I'm saying? Like I hope it's not like anime looking like, you, know, you know like I, that wouldn't that would make me kind of bummed out like i wanted to have this like i know it's 2022 and not everything is going to have you know is going to be the way you want it to be but i just want it to be good and i want it to look good so i guess we'll see yeah that's something man i i didn't hear that but i i'm all for it man it'd be great if that came out you know yeah i mean honestly if they have the rights to certain you know properties like that i don't know i mean especially halloween time i mean you know why not you know cash in a little bit make make some something interesting right yeah totally yeah like in my head i could see it imagine an animated tomb of dracula i would be fucking cool as shit yeah I'd, if it was done correctly i'd be all about that right exactly that th- there's the the rub you know the thing i like the most about tomb of dracula is that it was a story that had a beginning and an end you know yeah, it ran about 70 issues. It was really popular. Like, yeah, uh, I think Werewolf by Night ran 43 issues. Um, and then they did uh, The Living Mummy and they had a Frankenstein one, but Dracula ran the longest. And uh, yeah, it, it has this final issue. And I'm I actually uh, am bidding on the final issue, of course, right now. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know. But what I plan on doing is getting all these Marvel masterworks because Volume Two is, I think, coming out this fall. I think they're going to roll them out each each year. There's the tremendous omnibus uh, that's it goes for like a ton of money, and I don't know if I want those super heavy heavy ones, you know. So I kind of like that the fact that this is about eleven, twelve issues in this one. It's it's very train uh, friendly, you know. Yeah, those big collections, those big omnibus, omnibus ones are a little unwieldy. Like I have the uh, Sin City omnibus, and it's like mm. it's like twenty five uh, pounds. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, like I, yeah. I mean, like how the hell they are you don't ever... on a shelf though. I mean, they, they, they're cool for home reading. Yeah, they are yeah, cool totally. for home reading. 
But they're not cool for commutes. No, you couldn't really <laughs> take that on the subway and read it, you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah, it doesn't really look that great. On the viewing front, I did not finish The Boys. I know the, uh, the most recent Boys was the other night. I didn't watch it. I think I'm too behind on Animal Kingdom. I plan on catching up with a bunch of this uh, tonight or tomorrow. Um, did you ever dive into Animal Kingdom on TNT? I saw the first season and really liked it. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of let go of it though, but it, it's a good, se- good series though. Yeah, man. I just love it. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I started watching in 2016 on just like, I, I forget, I think I just kept seeing the ads everywhere. Yeah. And then I read that it was based on an Australian movie or whatever. And I went, you know what? I think I'm just going to blind watch this. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is great. So it just, if- that's how it drew me in. And then I got some other friends into it. So. No, yeah. it's good. It's definitely good. I saw the first, like I said, I saw the first season. I saw some of the second, but I just fell off. Or so. I don't know what happened, but it, I want to revisit it. And in some ways, it's um, if you liked Banshee, I think you would like Animal Kingdom. Yeah, and it's it reminds me of one of my favorite other movies of all time, Point Break. It yeah. kind of takes Point Break, and maybe you sprinkle in a little Sons of Anarchy and a little Banshee. No. I could see that, you know. It's a lot of like rad Cali dudes, you know, with no shirts on and stuff like that. Right. It's it's attractive dudes. There's attractive women, but you like these people and you care about them, and it gets real violent and it gets real heavy. Yeah. And people die, including you know people you really care about, and that's what I like. It's action and it's 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 kind of got everything. Like much like Banshee. It's got the sex and the action and the good characters. That's what it is, basically, you know? Yeah, totally. So, you know, Ellen Barkin yeah. was in the early early part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they have, um, what do you call it? They're in 80s and 90s flashbacks. They have Ellen Barkin as a young woman played by, uh, what's her name? It's the daughter of Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, I don't know who that is. Uh, from, uh, well, you, you definitely know who he is. He's... Uh, Gomer Pyle in Full Metal Jacket. Oh, no, no. I know who Vincent D'Onofrio oh, okay, is for yeah. sure, but not, I don't know who his daughter is. Oh, uh, okay. Hold on. I'm going to get you his, his 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 daughter's name in about two seconds. Oh, Layla George. Okay. Uh, she's very, very good-looking actress. She just divorced Sean Penn, actually. Uh, she's much younger than Sean Penn. She was married to him for a, a couple of years there, and they are now divorced. Layla George. Yeah, she plays the young Ellen Barkin role. She's really great on the show. Um, they're in like the early nineties now in flashbacks and, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a cool show. Animal kingdom. It's not horror, but it's fucking great. Yeah. So what about you, Mike? So I finished the boys and it was spectacular. It ended mm-hmm. with a bang. Uh, oh, don't uh, say no more. I'm yes. not going to say no. any more about it. I can say that this <laughs> is, this is like my opinion, the best season of, of the series. Uh, so okay. Far. Um, I'm, uh, I got into Stranger Things. You know, I was kind of, um, I know everyone's watching it. Everyone, most people have finished it already. And I'm like, maybe, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm zeroing in on the end. And I have to say, this this season is probably my favorite season as well. And um, Well, yeah, yeah. I have a, a bit of a take. I finished season three, which was literally, barring the last episode, a painfully bad season. Yeah. In my opinion, I thought so too. Season three dragged and dragged and dragged and was a shadow of season one and two. Okay. 
And I was, I almost didn't even start season four. That's how much I disliked season three. However, I finished the first episode of season four recently, and I am back on the horse. I'm on the mid end of episode two of season four. Yeah, I know about the whatever, the Metallica, whatever. I know all about it. But I don't know other than other than that, I don't know how it ended or what happens or who lives, who dies, or any of that shit. So um yes, season four is better than season three, but season three maybe almost just jumped ship entirely. That's I, really I hated it. That that's why I was reluctant. Not I, I wouldn't even say reluctant. I was hesitant to dive into season four because I didn't like season three. And I was like mm. Yeah, is this gonna be? Is this gonna be a big waste of my time, or I don't know? So I tried out the first episode, and I was like, "Yeah, it's actually good." So I, you know, picked it up. Yeah, I know it takes. A, I mean, it, well, I can see within two episodes, it takes more of a horror angle, which is fine. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, dude, people are still talking about the ending, still on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So obviously, uh, it made quite an impact. It is Netflix bar none biggest show uh the biggest numbers and and all that and of course they announced some kind of you know spinoff or whatever which again i didn't really read into because i have not finished the series so that doesn't surprise me at all but uh i know people are happy about a a decent metalhead representation yeah on a major show (laughs) eddie eddie was good man yes yeah yeah and after two episodes i can be like okay yeah he he tracks for 1986 metalhead. And I was 13 in 1986. I was a metalhead. This guy tracks, you know. So I I I, I it gets my blessing so far. The uh, yeah, I I definitely back it. Um, there's definitely some like cosmic horror elements to it, which I dug. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, man. But I want to finish it. I I have like um, I think two episodes left. And uh, my friend Natalie in South Jersey has been bugging me to finish it so we can talk about it. So I, I got to get down with it. And, yeah. Um, and yeah. then, uh, <laughs> yeah, some people are kind of losing their mind over it, but I, I don't even want to get into that. But uh, <laughs> you, you can check anything else out. Well, I just started a new book called The Deep by Nick Cutter. And mm-hmm. Brandon Legion recommended this to me. And you know, of course, you recommended it. I'm like, oh, it's got to be good. But, dude, yeah, it it's good taste. exceeded my expectations. And I, it was a, it's like a real page turner. And um, mm. it's just like similar to like a Stephen King novel. You just can't put it down, you know. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So okay. I'm going to try to dive into this other guy's work after this, too. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, I'm definitely diving into my, my Conans and my, my, you know, Tomb of Dracula's, but I, I'm also waiting on that Brian Keene book that shipped like Friday, uh, the one that he uh, co-wrote with uh, his girlfriend, Mary San Giovanni, to ship out. So the one called Things Left Behind. Yes. Uh, yep. the one, yeah, yeah, the exclusive. So um, I cannot wait to get that. Um, it's like, you know, signed by the both of them and everything. And it just, it like, you know, sold out, you know, a few months ago. Stoked for that. Um, I also want to read uh, the seven part one that he put out because the, the part two is coming. It's it's the one that kind of, uh, I'm sorry, the labyrinth. Uh, it, it, it talks, it basically involves all of his mythos. Right. I don't know why I call it the seven. It involves all of his mythos kind of together. 
you know mm-hmm. it's uh the book tube is called submerge the labyrinth book two um but the labyrinth book one i need to check that out um i know why i thought of the seven because it is indeed called the seven labyrinth book one that's the first one got it uh i need to definitely get that uh in in soft cover he has these really cool like deluxe hardcovers that you can get that are signed but i'm fine with the you know the soft cover yeah and uh, anyone out there who follows me on Instagram has probably seen that I picked up uh, the Solomon Kane collection that Marvel put out. And uh, mm. it's a little less known uh, Robert E. Howard character, but nonetheless, right. one of his better characters, in my opinion. And uh, I've been reading that. It's a collection of uh, work that appeared as backup features in mostly Savage Savage Sword of Conan. And uh, these are all black and white stories and... Uh, there's articles in there, like really, oh, cool. really, really cool collection. And it's, you know, it's going to be going out of print. So I figured I'd pick it up. And anyone out there who likes uh, dark fantasy, sword and sorcery, uh, check out Solomon Kane. Now, what is, okay. I know just about nothing about of, of Solomon Kane other than the name and that it's Robert E. Howard. Okay. Give the, the dummy nuts and bolts difference between a Conan and a Solomon King. Okay, Conan uh, obviously takes place in the Hyborian age, which is a mm-hmm. uh, you know a fictional era. Solomon right. Kane exists in actual history. Uh, uh-huh. He's like a British uh, Puritan who most of his adventures are in Africa, and he's uh, dealing with voodoo and zombies and very hmm. mostly uh, all supernatural stuff. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool stories. Man, Robert E. Howard, like, we've said this before, man. It's like, guy in Texas in the 20s, 30s, 40s, thinking of all this stuff. It's like, it's yeah, like you changed, changed the world, you know? It's just like, wow. The, yeah. the, the minds of, of people like him and, and your Lovecrafts, and it's just like, wow, man. Well, he like, and Lovecraft were uh, pen pals. They were buddies, yeah. yeah that, pals, that's how man. I found out about Lovecraft was from reading. That's right. Robert Unbelievable. Yeah. So now that brings us to uh, our brethren, the four horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. Yes, the plugs, Mike. Yeah. Time for the plugs. Yep. And uh, on Monday, who do we got on Monday? We have Horror Wolf Six Six Six, hosted by Brandon Legion. So on Tuesday, we have Into the Necrosphere. Hosted by none other than Jackie Smith. Wednesday, we have none other than Mr. Mike Hills. Everything went black. On Thursday, you have the show you're listening to right now, Necromaniacs Podcast. And on Friday, you have none other than Break the Apocalypse with my actual blood brother, John Draper, who has a different last name than I do. How about that? I've never been able to figure that out in all the years that I've known you guys. How that, how that I know, happened. man. That is wild. <laughs> um, they're coming up on a 100th episode uh, sometime, uh, well, in the next few weeks, I believe. And yours truly may or may not be a guest on that. How about that, Mike? Oh, wow. I got to keep my, my ears open then. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, you know. We'll show tease there, but uh, hopefully Mr. Draper won't be mad that I did that. Um, you know, if he is, well, it's out there now. But anyway, 
which brings us to tonight's show, ladies and gentlemen. We uh, we've been doing new stuff last few episodes, right, Mike? Last like three episodes, yeah. we've been doing uh, modern horror, mm-hmm. so to speak. But tonight, uh, on this midsummer evening, we're going into into the woods, into the into the caverns of the early eighties, nineteen eighty. A little movie called Without Warning. And in some cases, it came without warning, right, Michael? That's, yeah, that was, I guess, the uh, original title of this uh, particular movie. Right. Uh, but it, it, it ended with Without Warning, uh, which I think is, I don't know, I think that's a cooler name, right? Yeah, no, definitely it's a cooler name. I think so. Um, you know, it's, I don't, you know, I got to be honest, that it, it doesn't, it, it, that title could be for anything. It doesn't really fit the movie yes, in some ways. It could totally be for anything. It could be about a movie about, uh, you know, uh, a nuclear war, right? Yeah. It could be a horror movie. It could be a drama. It could be a wacky comedy. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and it's funny because the, the as we'll talk about soon, the, um, the writing of this kind of got shifted around between a couple of different people. Yes, actually. And, and, and a guy behind the writing went on to do some comedy. Let's just say, <laughs> you know, it was, um, um, was it burnt Bennett Tramer was the guy's name. Yes. Originally. And, um, so before we get into that, I'll just say this came out night, the uh, release information before we get into all the, uh, the backstory. Oh, sure, sure. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, the movie was uh, was released September nineteenth, nineteen eighty, in L.A., mm-hmm. and then September twenty sixth, nineteen eighty, in New York City. Mm-hmm. So there was like a bi coastal release. Yeah, um, don't think it was in theaters very long, folks. Um, wasn't a huge hit actually, and it wasn't even available on home video until twenty fourteen. How about that, Mike? And that was uh, Shout Factory put that out, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, we'll, we'll get into that, too. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, it was a small indie horror movie, 1980, it, uh, you know, pre-slasher explosion, though, right? Um, but at a time, I mean, it's not a slasher. It's It actually, to me, fits nicely in the sci-fi horror genre. Would you agree? Straight up. I mean, it's about an alien uh, so I would say it's uh, a horror sci-fi movie. Yeah, I would say it's 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 made definitely in the wake of the success of Alien. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, because that was seventy-nine. This is eighty. This was you know budget of a hundred and fifty k, made on the cheap. You know, so definitely made in the spirit, you know, with the spirit of, of the success. Of the wonderful alien um directed by graydon clark uh now graydon clark made some real cool uh grindhouse fair and uh, would you would you put this as grindhouse fair mike i would yeah this is something you would see on 42nd street you know 100 sure. definitely absolutely uh but graydon clark directed satan sadist he directed the bad bunch psychic killer black shampoo uh, a movie I like, Satan's Cheerleaders. You ever seen that one? I haven't seen that. Yes. Uh, then after Without Warning, he did Joysticks, folks. 
uh, one of the great sex comedies, teenage sex comedies of the early 80s. Uh, Joysticks, fun movie. Um, but yeah, without warning, uh, is, you know, his mid-period fair, Mike, uh, amidst his films. Uh, I think a, a cool, you know, director of this kind of stuff. Um, I will say off the bat, this movie is a bit of an inspiration. Well, it's credited, actually, as an inspiration for the 1987 film Predator. Uh, both of those films star Kevin Peter Hall as the costumed alien. Uh, so, yeah, Kevin Peter Hall plays the Predator, of course, in the original Predator. And he plays the alien in this film as well. Uh, the man also played Bigfoot and Harry and Henderson, so Harry, of course. Um, sadly died uh, of age-related illness in 1991, Michael. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a sad tragedy. Yeah, he was seven feet two inches tall. Wow. Uh, reminiscent of the, the actor who played the alien in the original Aliens, who, who also died actually very young, and uh, well, and that actor had uh, literally that sole film to his credit. Uh, I didn't know that. Yes. He, that was the only movie he ever made, that actor. And I, I'm going to look up that actor's name in a minute. But anyway, back to Without Warning. Um, low budget. However, I enjoyed this film, Michael. I enjoyed it very much. What about you? Yeah, yeah. It's Is it a good movie? That's uh, a very subjective uh, opinion you can have about it, but I, I enjoyed it. Um, there's some heavy hitters in the cast here. You know? Yes. And, um, um, yeah, so let's just run, run through the cast real quick because pick out the yeah, heavy absolutely. hitters. Yeah. So the two, <laughs> the two big names was Jack Palance and, uh, and Martin Landau, and um, they, they play prime roles. Jack Palance plays Joe Taylor, who is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this, this – loner woodsman sort of character mm-hmm. and martin lansdow martin lansdow martin landau played uh fred sarge dobbs who was a uh, clearly you know vet who's clearly uh you know uh dealing with ptsd and shell shock yeah. and all this sort of stuff how about the funny part of the fact that they make no reference to what he is a vet of did you notice that yeah he's <laughs> just like a war. vet yeah uh, is it Korea? Is it World War Two? Is it Vietnam? I don't know what what war is it. I don't know. He's a vet. He's, well, I would know. I would have to say it was probably Vietnam. You know, since it's like, but then again, well, he Korea seems, maybe he Korea because he's an older guy. Yeah, he's right, a little older. Right. Yeah, a little older. So maybe yeah. Korea. Yeah, could be Korea. Maybe Vietnam. Well, we don't know. They don't say. Yeah. Uh, also in the cast, Neville Brand as Leo, Ralph Meeker as Dave, uh, legendary actor Cameron Mitchell. As uh, Hunter, uh, Darby Hinton as Randy, and none other than David Caruso as Tom. David Caruso, as many will know, goes on to do a lot of cool stuff. Uh, He's on the first season of NYPD Blue. He's in some really cool movies like Officer and a Gentleman, First Blood, China Girl, Twins, King of New York, Hudson Hawk, and Jade. Uh, really cool 80s, 90s actor, and then made a movie that Mike loves the hell out of, 2001 Session 9, right, Mike? Ah, that's, that's, that movie's brilliant, man. You know, that I need to see that again. I like that movie, but I don't have a lot of 
Like, I don't fully remember it. I remember it had, like, that weird ending, right? Did we ever do an episode on it is what I want to know. I don't we've mentioned it. We <laughs> have, I don't think we've done an episode on it. No. I feel like we, we should talked though. about it. Early days of Necromaniacs podcast. Yeah. You've definitely mentioned it a few times. We should definitely but, cover that movie. Definitely. Yeah. And 2001, honestly, is the precursor time to horror getting really good again. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit ahead of the curve for sure. It is a little ahead of the curve. Absolutely. It's like a psychological horror film. It's weird. It's a weird movie, but it, it's a good movie uh, about an asbestos abatement crew who clean up an abandoned mental asylum. Really weird movie. Session 9 from uh, the heady old days of 2001, folks. And that's a, uh, a real place at Danvers uh, facility. Um, my, my friends who live up there in Massachusetts, are uh, that, that's like one of those places where like as a kid you were growing up and it was like you know, the place is haunted, you know, kids would break in there and spray paint Slayer and stuff like that, you know, and oh, wow. sacrifice cats and, you know, all that sort of 80s like stuff, you know. Oh, and uh, as I'm not going to forget, the name of the man who played the alien in the 1979 Aliens was Bolaj Badejo. Yes. He was 6'10", though, Mike. Wow. It's a big Six guy. Six feet, 10 inches tall. It's a big guy. Yeah, his yeah. sole film, uh, he died at also a very young age, uh, 39, um, of sickle cell anemia. Wow, man. But, uh, yeah, what a cool fucking thing to be remembered for, though, man, right? Yeah, totally. Damn. Yeah. There's that, that footage you can see now of him kind of putting on the mask and, like, getting into character. It's freaking creepy as hell. Um, but back to Without Warning, folks. Like I said... Low budget fare, but to me, what I liked about this movie and why I thought it was worth covering is that it just gave me the nostalgia feels, as they say. You know, it reminds me of a movie that, like, I saw as a kid on TV in maybe the earlier mid '80s when when they would show horror movies on on channels nine and eleven and five. Um, you know these channels that basically showed syndicated TV shows, Michael, right? I too have a similar feeling about that. You know, it makes, mm -hmm. it brings me back to an age where I didn't really, you know, not, not to sound, you know, funny about it, but you kind of didn't know be any better about what was good or bad. You know, yeah, you can, yeah. You can equally watch, you know, like the, the exorcist and be terrified by that, which is a fine film. And you could also watch like, you know, like Land of the Lost or something like that and be scared by that too, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this movie would have probably scared the bejesus out of me as a child. Uh, I'm going to say this viewing over the weekend was my first time seeing this movie. Did you ever see this movie, Mike? No, never. No. So it was Mike, for Mike and I, both of ours first time viewing, but it's a movie I've been hearing a lot about over the years, mainly due to the reissue uh, from Screen Factory, which, by the way, I checked. It goes for $100 on Amazon, so it's out of print uh, again, unfortunately. Uh, I would like to have checked that out just to see if it had any cool extras on it. But um, thankfully, the fine, fine folks at Shudder uh, dropped this onto their service like last week. Uh, they have some cool stuff in July, and without warning is one of them. 
Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how this all kind of came to be, uh, us covering it, because it's not necessarily completely out of left field, but as we've been covering the newer stuff, I just thought it would be nice to to go back and, and cover something from you know late seventies, early eighties, you know. Yeah, and we we mentioned this before. This is a prime suspect to end up on the Joe Bob last driving show for, for sure. Yeah. We talked about that before, um, before, you know, we started rolling, uh, watch. I mean, look, if, if I was a more of a gambler, I'm a slight gambler, but, uh, you know, as they say, I'll bet a dollar, this could end up being covered by Joe Bob. I don't know why, because it has a lot of cool little factoids, uh, aside from the, the, the cool cast and everything, um, which it has a great cast. Uh, the guy who did the special effects for this movie, Mike, uh, also did the special effects for one of our favorite movies, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes, that's correct. Uh, and, and a bunch of other fucking cool movies. However, okay, it, it's going to take me a second because his name is not showing up immediately on the fucking uh, Wikipedia. But... Yeah, he went on to do a bunch of other cool movies, and I had no idea he actually was the guy behind uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. The specs in that are fucking great. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, especially for 1980, you know. Mm. Oh, 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 Bram Stoker, no doubt. Oh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, yeah. yeah. In this film, there's some pretty cool effects, you know, for the 80s, like action, like, um, you know, definitely in-camera practical effects. Mm -hmm. You know, the alien alien looks pretty cool. (laughs) You know, there, no, I re- see the thing. The other thing that I really liked about this movie is I love the way the alien looks, and I love that you do not see the alien until literally the last I don't know 20 minutes of the movie, 25 minutes of the movie. Um, I like things like that where, where it's like you're kind of afraid or you're uneasy about what you have not seen yet. Like, there's, there's a payoff, Mike, you know, in this movie, and also just the story. You know, like there's what kept me involved in the movie was the story and the plot and, uh, you know, how there's this town that sort of knows that there's this entity that lives out in the woods, you know, but they're also kind of trying to not acknowledge that, you know, and yeah. people go missing, you know, and that's kind of like one of my favorite stories where it's like you have something that's in the woods in this case, is an alien. There's been other narratives where that's something in the woods is some sort of like ancient monster or, or something that the, you know, there's like a f- mythology around it or something like that. Um, and then the townsfolk just kind of let it slide. They, they realize it's there. They kind of, oh, you know, th- that so-and-so is crazy, you know, but they all know that something is wrong. And outsiders visit this town. Like we have a group, there's two couples, you know, one of which is David Caruso as part of that group. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then that's when all the stuff starts. You're seeing the film, the narration is going through their eyes. Like they enter this setting, they meet some of the townsfolk and they're all a little bit off. The whole thing is a little bit off. You know what I mean? Right. Now that was, see, here's the thing. Do you think, well, there's a scene where, uh, Two of the teenagers, well, there's two groups of teenagers, okay? And two of the four, a male and female couple, have basically been carried away and, you know, alt by the alien. Spoiler alert. 
And the two that remain are not really a couple yet. They kind of just met. They're, you know, a bit of a reluctant couple. Um, and they make their way to this bar. And it's interesting where I was trying to figure out, like, does everyone in the bar, is everyone in the bar in on it, as they say? I feel like no. I feel like some of them are, like Landau and Palance. But I almost feel like maybe not everybody. I don't know. Like, did you, you felt like maybe they were all in on it? This is a good, a good thing to talk about, too, because obviously mm-hmm. Palance and Landau's character are believers. Yes. Unfortunately, Landau is not taken seriously. He's like a little bit of an unreliable witness because he's out, right. he's out of his mind. You know, the townsfolk have been experiencing these guys for years, telling their wacky stories about aliens and abductions and all this stuff going on. I think that there is a the feeling that I got was that there was a a sort of variable of different people that some of them kind of believed it they were aware of the stories some of them did not believe it they thought it was false they thought it was just the ravings of a madman but i felt like there was like it, there's this vibe that there that people kind of knew there was something going on you know what I mean? mm. it might not be an alien it might just be a werewolf or something or you know or <laughs> something something other than an alien or whatever but kind of people were like yeah you know something's amiss because Aside from the group of teenagers, remember there was the other, the father-son, you know, they, they got taken out, the, right. the scoutmaster, you know, so there's uh-huh. been like a, um, a history of people disappearing, you know, and, and that's what I mean. It, it, it made me think about that classic setting where there's like a remote area, you know, you see this a lot in the Bigfoot stories, you know, where there's like something in the woods, people are disappearing. Did they really disappear? You know, and that's kind of the vibe I got when they went into the bar. Yeah, I I get that. Um, I think. Oh, and Dean Cudney was the director of photography on this, who is actually went on to do a ton of fucking big movies: Jurassic Park, Yep, Pilot Thirteen, Roger Rabbit, Back to the Future. I mean, way more than that. That's just kind of, you know, like. Uh, Death Becomes Her, Nothing But Trouble, fucking Halloween 2, uh, The Fog. Yeah, so big horror guy in this movie. Um, but back to the people, you know, in the bar. I almost feel like maybe it was on purpose where you're kind of suspicious of them, you know. Um, but like you said, maybe if they knew it was something that they accepted, and it was just like, it kind of was what it was. And, and there's an alien out there. And it's like, okay, you know, we're just going to sit in here and drink our beers. You know? The reason why I thought that was because originally when uh, when the dude came in, he's like, someone's dead. They killed her. The, 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 and he wanted to call the police. And they're like, well, hold on a second. They don't, right? They didn't want to call the police right away. You know? Yeah. And, and that's what I mean. It's like, I'm not saying they all believe that the aliens were out there, that there was an alien. But they knew that something was out there you know mm. alien you know bigfoot you know werewolf you know whatever they knew something was afoot um something else needs to be said uh someone who passed away this week is in this movie larry storch uh of f troop fame and and just a whole host of stuff going back to the 60s and 70s and 80s uh he died this week he would be in a lot of the chillers mike 
he died and he was like 99 years old. Mark. Wow, 99. Yeah, he died July 8th. He died Friday. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, he has a real small, small role in this. Uh, he's a scoutmaster with a bunch of young kids, and he gets killed. But if you notice, the alien does not kill the children. Interesting, right? Yeah. He doesn't send his discs after them. He doesn't kill them. Like one of the kids sees him, and we don't see the alien because this is earlier in the movie. And the yeah, you know, they just start screaming and running away. Do you think that was on purpose? You know, they never really get into what the alien's motivation were, like what his criteria was. And also they never really tell you what he's doing with the bodies. You know, are they just trophies or like what's the story? You know, that that's like we, we discussed that this was the predecessor, the inspiration for Predator. And they're mm-hmm. very clear about what the Predator was doing. But yes. they're not clear about what the alien is doing. No. Um, if you're looking for answers in this movie, you're not going to get them. We don't know well anything about this alien. Right, Mike? I mean, what we don't, I mean all we know is basically what Jack Palance and his character says and he's just kind of put it together. Like he's, you know, um, that he's here from another world to hunt and collect bodies and feed off the bodies. But we don't know anything else. We don't know if it has a name. It's referred to as the alien and the hunter. Okay. We don't, we have nothing about its origin or anything like that. Um, however, I think that's kind of cool. What about you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, um, you know, as like a method of telling the story, because it's coming from an unreliable witness. You know what I mean? Mm. There's like that trope in like storytelling, the unreliable witness where it's like someone who's mad or crazy or whatever, giving you the information. It may or may not be true. It may be partially accurate, you know, and that's kind of like the info. And that's one of the things I kind of dug about the movie is that it's all like a bunch of half facts that are presented to you. And I don't know if this is done intentionally or is this part of, you know, some of the holes in the writing. Cause this, but as we mentioned earlier, the script writing kind of fell between a couple of different people, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, and it is low budget fair and it's not like, it's not, look, predator is like a movie. You know what I'm saying? Totally. There's a big budget. There's, it's just, you kind of can't even, you can, you can compare them a little bit because it's an alien hunting humans and collecting them. And, and th- there's some comparisons, you know, but other than that, those are the only comparisons. <laughs> no, yeah, they're, they're completely, but, but it is interesting that they picked this film out of all the movies to, to be inspired by, you know, this is a pretty obscure film actually. Um, Yes. But I think it has its it has its fans and it has its merit, and um, you know I just I, I think that like it, somehow it kind of left a mark somewhere, or maybe like the the, the script look the script isn't bad, it's it's a cool story. Would you agree? It's at least no, I, cool- I I love the story. The story is great. You know, it's like like I was saying, there's like a remote town. There's like something out in the woods. You know, we don't know what it is. It in this case, it's an alien. You know, it's. People are disappearing. There's like some townsfolk. Like it has all of the the elements of something that I would told. I'm totally in on, and that's why I like the movie. You know for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I just think that, like, I don't know. That is an interesting point. Like, how is it that this movie became the inspiration behind such such a, a movie that's like a very renowned film? Oh, and by the way, the the special effects man, because you know I'm an idiot, uh, is Greg Cannon, uh, who did the special effects in this movie and in Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, and The Mask, and Mrs. Doubtfire, and Titanic, and a whole host of films. Greg Cannon. Um, Exorcism of Emily Rose, he's involved in there, involved in Van Helsing, uh, tons of shit. A guy who's, you know, had his hands all over a lot of cool stuff. Um, you know, the alien itself in this movie just creeps me out, you know? It's sure. got, like, this huge head, and it's really tall, because it's played by a really tall actor. Does not utter a word, Mike. I like that. Creepy, No. Yeah, no, that that's the alien was great, you know. It's it's in the beginning of this, what we think of as aliens, it was like a prototype for that in some ways. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, 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 totally, totally. Um, but the thing is, while not a perfect film, I mean, actually, I swear, I think I could see the string on those flying discs a few times could you well, let's talk about those discs a little bit because they, they kind of reminded me of like uh il- evil elio's pizzas in some ways <laughs> you know, um, you know what i'm trying to say like <laughs> yeah yeah I they mean, were cool though i mean I, I thought i mean i hey you know i i'm a fan you know what i mean and and i think uh it was cool though it was a cool way of a cool weapon but mm-hmm. when they when they hit they were they they had a lot of impact though agree yeah agree <laughs> um yeah like that they like sucked onto the fucking person and shit you know like i you know uh, listeners the alien throws these discs right as mike said they might res- resemble a mini pizza maybe you know <laughs> <laughs> to some eyes, to other eyes, maybe not. And what it does is once it hits the person, it just, it, it kind of staggers them and it gets its claws into you. And I, that is basically the way the alien is able to subdue its prey, right? right? And conceptually, that's a cool idea, though, that you have this biological thing. It's almost like a Cronenberg, like body horror kind of thing. Yes. You know, and I thought that was interesting. I thought that was like a really cool element in the movie where instead of a laser gun or you know fucking crossbow or something like that he's got these biological uh-huh. things that he tosses at like somebody and it latches onto them and injects like some sort of venom into their body mm. you know it's almost like some insect kind of thing you know like and and uh and it's like a biological thing I, and once again no explanation is this part of his body is it something that he grows you know i don't know you know what i'm trying to say mm, yes i mean look there are better horror movies from <laughs> uh however this one in particular i just feel that it, it's worth a look you know i mean obviously i, I think it gained some fans some traction I don't think it would be a hundred dollar Blu-ray if it was something that like people thought was a shit film. Would you agree? 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's, val- there's validity in this film for sure. I mean, um, you know, there are definitely movies out there that are like kind of a waste of time, but there's atmosphere. You got Martin Landau and Jack Palance chewing the scenery, you know? <laughs> and yes. the idea, the story is a good story. And like I said, there's a lot of cool elements in this thing. And it's definitely, for that reason, I liked it. You know, for that reason, I enjoyed it. You know, and I was able to look past some of the primitive aspects of the film because it did come out in 1980, you know, which is a, that's a long time ago, man. Yeah, I mean, you view it with different eyes, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> what did you think of, of the, the, the young couples, the, the, the actors? I mean, they, there's always like, you know, the, the pretty girls in the film. I mean, I thought... Aside from the, the main, you know, OG, old school actors, I mean, the acting itself was kind of standard, low budget, late 70s, early 80s fare. Nothing really kind of stood out. I mean, even Caruso is, I mean, it could have been anybody in that yeah. role. Uh, Caruso looked like he was like 15, you know what I mean? He looked like a really young guy. I mean, he's a baby face guy as it is, you know? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, it was basically all about the older characters in the film, right? But, uh, you know, the, the, like you said, the acting was adequate. It was, it was serviceable. They did their jobs. You know, they helped propel the story. But really mm-hmm. was about sort of um, kind of Landau versus Palance, too. Yes. You know? And then Re- versus the alien. <laughs> you know, it's like... There was a lot of conflict going on. There was tension between those two characters, too, because Landau, his character was off in some conspiracy theory, you know, uh, you know, universe. And Palance's character was a little bit more grounded in reality. No, totally. Did you notice in the first scene, the first kills, the father and son, right? Yeah. First of all, that was weird, okay? You talk about the con- the conflict between the two. Yeah, I mean it was interesting. Um, the dad looks through the son's bag and sees books, and they show the books, and the dad is kind of angry. Like I, I felt like I couldn't get a close up view of what those books were that annoyed the dad. Did you do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, okay, well, the dad, you know, he was like some, like, right-wing guy, you know, guns, all this like stuff. Kill and yeah. And- yeah, and the son was, like, more of, like, this kind of, like, uh, more educated dude who's probably studying, like, philosophy and things like that. And mm-hmm. probably at one point, maybe he enjoyed going on these hunts with his father, but as he got older, he drifted away from that kind of thing. And yes. the, the dad was... was uh, angry about that because the kid wasn't turning out exactly the way he thought he was supposed to turn out. You know. Yeah, they were father and son that were basically kind of worlds apart. Yeah, they're worlds apart. You know, and uh, um, yeah, and I was like, "What are those books?" And I froze on it. And I'm like, "I can't really see what the fuck he's mad at." But maybe it was like for lot, like I don't know. It was something that was certainly not about hunting or whatever. Yeah, some a, non-manly he, pursuit that he didn't. He thought was probably a waste of time. You know. Right, 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 right. Um. But yeah, as I said, I liked how they don't really show this alien till towards the end. I loved the way the alien looked. I liked that he was silent. Um, music was pretty creepy, you know, like that that you know background, typical seventies, early eighties movie music. You know, you know what I'm talking about. That's yeah. just like off kilter sounding synth 
sounding, you know? Yeah, I enjoyed that part of it too, for sure. all cool little things going for it. What didn't, what, what would you say that you didn't like about it? Because I liked it more than you did, but what did was like, for you, kind of just like, ugh, you know? I thought some of the writing, like, was, like, the, the script in general was good. Mm-hmm. Like, the story itself was good. Story is good, right, but not the script. But some, yeah, some of the writing of the dialogue was, like, a little, little whack, I thought. Um, you know, uh that they didn't explain certain, not like I need everything explained to me, but there were certain elements that really would have benefited the film had they given more motivation. You know what I mean? Like what, what the alien was actually doing. You know, like I said, there was just the one guy, you know, had his idea about what he thought he was doing, you know, but maybe it would have been better to show some of that stuff. Like, so you knew what was going on. Wow. Now it's funny. You, you mentioned, earlier on about the, the background behind this actual script and story. And it, it's, it's worth really sharing. Um, in 1978, Dan Grodnick hired a guy named Bennett Tramer, okay, to, to, to rewrite a script. And halfway through it, this Tramer guy said to Grodnick, he had this epiphany, and he can't, can't finish his sci-fi script as he realized, you know what, I'm a comedy guy. This isn't, I can't do this. I don't, you know, I can't, I don't want to fucking work on this. So he hands Dan Grodnick back the unfinished script. Grodnick sits down uh, with an IBM typewriter and finishes the script uh, shortly after the movie just goes right into, you know, production. And when it comes time for credits, uh, the man Dan Grodnick asks Ben Tramer, oh, do you, you know, do you, do you want your credit on this movie? You wrote half this movie. And since he was desperately trying to break into comedy, he said that, oh, I don't want my name on a horror movie, you know? Yeah. So force him to put a fake name on it and put the name Ben Nett on it. <laughs> no, no one will ever figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Ben Nett instead of Bennett Tramer, his real name. Well, apparently... The guy really wanted to get into comedy and did get into comedy because he went on to write and basically co-create Saved by the Bell, the TV show. Right. So there is a Saved by the Bell connection in Without Warning. Isn't that interesting, Mike? And I think that, you know, that like when I first watched the movie, I knew that at, at the end of the day, I was like, man, you know, something, this is cool. The story's cool. But there's just like a something that doesn't put it over the top for me. And then when I read that, I was like, okay, yeah, there's probably something in the writing, something like this guy doesn't know horror. He's not, he doesn't have all those beats down maybe, you know, and, and that's in the dialogue maybe. And I don't know, some of the, it's, it's a minor, it's a minor thing, but that, that I felt like that, that really showed in this film, you know, four people to write this movie, by the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, There's like a lot of credits. Daniel Grodnick went on to do a shit ton of other things, by the way. Uh, write a, whole, a, shit, a shit ton of movies, uh, including Terror Train in 1980. Uh, a, a more low-budget fare, but at least a career in film uh, and some television. Um, but yeah, it's also credited to, of course, Ben Nett, uh, Steve Mattox, and Lynn Freeman. Four people. Uh, four different, you know, writes and rewrites. But it is pretty funny that he's like, no, don't put my name on it. Put Ben Nett on it. That's funny. It's a horror movie. I don't want to be associated with that. I'm trying to break into comedy. Hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) 
Bennett. Oh, music was by Dan Wyman, uh, who was credited to Hell Knight and uh, Dead Pit, that horror movie from 1989, which was the VHS cover where you press the button and the eyes lit up, which is something I always remembered about that VHS cover. Do you have that? Uh, mm-hmm. What do, you do you have that? The, v- uh, the no. VHS cover? That would be cool to have no. that. Press that button in the video store for the Dead Damn. Pit. Uh, he did the music for Lawnmower Man in 1992. Um, yeah, music's kind of creepy, actually. But, yeah, the movie didn't set the world on fire and literally remained like an unseen film for a very long time, which is wild. Uh, until 2014, when the, the first Shout Factory uh, Scream Factory DVD Blu-ray combo pack came out. Wow, that's wild. So it didn't have a VHS release. Interesting. Like this movie wasn't even, you know, in video stores. Oh, wow. I think it was, though. It was in what's called the gray markets, Mike. I remember that seeing. That sketchy, man. <laughs> the gray yeah. markets. Well, it's called the gray market. It's basically the bootleg market, like a bootleg DVDR, bootleg VHS. Like, I've definitely seen this cover before like the movie poster before but it was probably a movie that sat with that guy who who goes to all the cons and sells the dvdrs of movies that aren't available oh yeah yeah i bought some stuff from that dude (laughs) the vhs preservation society or something like that yeah (laughs) exactly totally one of those movies but yeah it is insane that how much this goes for that blu-ray that came out (laughs) but i'm very happy that listeners can watch it on Shudder, and I'm sure fans of the movie who liked it can watch it on Shudder. Um, which brings us to our verdict. Mike Hill, what do you give without warning? I give it a 3.5 because uh-huh. I think it's worth seeing. Mm-hmm. It's not a good movie, but I still liked it, though. You know what I mean? And it's um, the, the way that it fits into... The world of horror, I think that it's an important film to see. It's got great performances by Landau and Palance. The story itself is is great, you know, and it's and it isn't, you know, it's not like Predator took this and just remade it. It's like a different type of story altogether, you know. And I, I like the story. I just wasn't crazy about maybe all of the execution. Yeah, you know what? It's weird. I I was. I'm landing on 3.5 as well with a bullet. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Um, I don't know if this is a four movie. I mean, four is a pretty close, you know, damn near perfect movies. This is a fun movie. And it's nostalgic. And I really like The Alien. I almost gave this a four. But I, I also have kind of landed on a bit of a more enthusiastic 3.5. Um, I, I definitely think our listeners who have never seen it would dig it, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be cool to see what the, the reaction is, uh, you know, on Instagram or Facebook or any messages you wonderful listeners send us about what you thought of this movie. Um, I could actually picture a really cool action figure of the alien. That's why. Uh, that's, oh, yeah. that's I, would, I would buy that for sure. <laughs> you know? Um, and I like the movie poster a lot, you know? Um, yeah, it's it's just one of those just kind of exploitationy, maybe not exploitationy, grindhousey 
early 80s cheap horror movies, you know, shot in America. Um, I couldn't fig- find where it was shot, though. Could you? No, no. I would say yeah. somewhere maybe out out west, maybe in California or something like that. Actual location, and, and I bet that, that that Blu-ray DVD might have some cool extras on it. Um, but, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't find where it was shot. Um, you know... But it has a bit of a, of a of a similar look to those movies, you know, whether the woods or the fields or, you know, forest kind of vibes and similar tropes of a lot of movies of that time period, Mike. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah, definitely would be something fun to watch on Joe Bob, where Joe Bob would probably tell you five million more things than we did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, solid three point five across the board for without warning from your necro pals. I, I would imagine Joe Bob knows exactly where this was shot. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It has like a Halloween connection. It has a Predator connection. Uh, yeah, cool movie. Yeah, there, there's uh, definitely worth checking out. You know, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of stuff coming out or that's out that I want to see. I want to see that movie Men. Me too. Uh, my brother John saw it. He loved it, and he said the ending is really fucked up. He, of course, I didn't want to know the ending, but he said the ending is wild. So that's what I heard yeah. too. Yeah. And right now, I'm counting down the weeks to uh, Necronomicon in Providence, Rhode Island, which I will be going to in August. When is that? August what? Uh, the weekend of the twenty second. Ooh. Now, what goes down at Necronomicon for the listeners? It's a weird fiction uh, convention where they have panels, they have short films, they have new authors reading their work. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, of course, there's all the merchandise stuff you can get. Um, Mm. You know, it's it's sponsored by the H.P. Lovecraft Society, which is based in uh, in Providence, of course. You know, that's where Lovecraft is uh, was born and, and is buried, and it's a I'm going to be going for Friday. I have uh, a pass for the entire thing, but I'm going to, I'm only going to be going Friday and Saturday and Sunday. I'm driving home. So very fucking cool, man. That's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, any, any like authors of note going to be there? Is it, you know, well, they haven't listed the full program yet. They just have the core, uh, program and the, the, what they have listed is all the panels that they're doing, you know, okay. and, like lectures and, you know, they'll have like, um, they talk about like the tradition of weird fiction. They talk about, you know, how it relates to modern society. They go into different authors, you know, reflect, you know, if people have these, you know, presentations about their work and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, they haven't announced the full program yet, which I, in the next few weeks is going to be going up. That sounds fun. I was going through my horror comics, um, the other day and, uh, I found, some issues of i think it was called necronomicon boom studios yeah 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 totally yeah fun and then i found alan moore did that i think providence the which one uh man what company avatar yeah i don't think i finished it actually that was a sick comic uh jason burrows and what's his name from uh watchman wrote it yeah alan moore one more, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you read totally. them. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Pretty so, sick. Yeah. So this is like uh, the panels, classic weird, but stranger still 
is Las Carcosa on the shores. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they talk about Robert Chambers. The, right. contem the contemporary was always terrible. The weird fiction of J.G. Ballard and his influences. The, hori the horizon is still way beyond you. Zora Neale Harston's life and legacy. She's a weird fiction writer. Horror mm -hmm. in historical context. Out of the shadows, a history of the queer weird. So, of mm -hmm. course, we have uh, LGBTQ stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Savage and exotic lands. The representation of non-European cultures in pulp era. Because as we know, in all these like uh, dark fantasy, uh, you know, there's always like the others, you know, people are others, other populations and whatnot. Tracing the lineage of weird poetry, a deep dive into the roots, evolution, and boundaries of weird poetry. You know, stuff like that. I tell you, this is a Mike Hill Bonanza. You're going to have a good oh, time. dude, I, I, I'm so excited. I got, you know, my, my H.P. Lovecraft shirt set aside. I got like, you know. I'm taking mad cash with me to buy stuff, probably. Yeah, dude, you're fun. gonna. I, I expect a full report on the show. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll give a breakdown of all the cool stuff about the show, about the uh, the con for sure. Enjoy, man. Wow, that's yeah, man. fucking rich. cool. I think we go to Monster Mania in August. Uh, definitely gonna go to Chiller in October. Um, I'll, maybe, I'll be at Chiller for sure, man. Yeah. Yeah, the, the HC one. I don't know. I want, to, I want to try to check them all out maybe this year. We'll see. It's just, uh, you know, a lot of cons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally, dude. Yeah. Well, that was it, man. That was cool. Good episode. And um, Yeah. Another yeah. edition of Necromaniacs Podcast. And if you do not already, you should subscribe to the show via Spotify or Apple Podcasts or on Podbean, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you are a new listener, welcome. Come back next week. If you're an old listener, we thank you so much for sticking around and spreading the word. Right, Mike? That's right. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.